2: Hello and welcome. My name is Louis Strong and I host Headstrong, a podcast where I chat with a number of people in the public eye about their vulnerabilities to understand what the word headstrong means to them. Now joining me on today's episode is a magnificent musician named Jamie Hanna We had a chat about what it is like being an independent artist in this immense world of music today and the things that we can do to help support independent artists like Jamie. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. But first, a quick note from our series sponsor, RCK Partners. RCK Partners specialise in helping UK businesses claim R&D tax relief across the engineering, agricultural and tech space. If you'd like to find out about this valuable source of funding for your business, head over to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description. That's rck.partners. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you today?
1: I'm very well, handsome. How are you?
2: Very, very well, thank you. Sweating buckets on a Friday afternoon, but we are here. The sun is shining, but
1: the weekend is close.
2: Optimism. I love it already. It's going to be good. Um, It's so lovely to have reconnected this year because we bumped into each other very strangely uh, in, I don't know, what was it, July, beginning of July at a festival, Um, spent some dangerous hours together uh,
1: enjoying <laughs> ourselves um how long have we known each other god um a healthy amount of years that's probably about like, six years or so yeah yeah goodness god we had a good boogie though didn't we, we did all those years good. we've missed i know we made up for it
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nothing like reconnecting on jesse J. of course oh what an absolute stellar week uh day that was but for those of you who are listening, who don't know who you are,
1: who are you? What do you do? Introduce yourself. Goodness gracious. I love this. Um, my name is Jamie Hanna. I'm a uh, singer songwriter, composer, musician from London. I moved here, uh, six or seven years ago to study as an opera singer at the Ville College of Music, and then kind of delved more into the pop world and have since collaborated with, um, Boy George, performed with Kylie Minogue and been releasing my own music as an artist.
2: So cool. Literally so, (laughs) so, so cool. Because when I first met you six or seven years ago, I didn't know about any of this. And then you started to appear on my For You page during Ah. lockdown. And I'm going, oh, hang on. I I knew who that is. And then my sister would talk about you, about all the stuff that you were doing that was so exciting. And it's so cool. How would you describe your music now that you released to anyone who hasn't listened
1: to it? I think it's ever evolving, but I think what I'm trying to achieve is certainly pop music but with classical undertones so i like to call it ethereal cinematic pop um which i know is incredibly pretentious <laughs> <laughs> but um i think it encapsulates kind of the the sonics which i want to want to have it's it, it stems from a love for uh renaissance baroque music as a as a countertenor in, in the opera world and now kind of trying to fuse that with uh more uh contemporary instruments
2: <laughs> how important is it Just for musicians in general to give their own, I don't know, individuality, their own personal perspective on on music. How important is it to add that?
1: Well, to have an identity, I mean, it's Mm. it's imperative. Otherwise, what's the purpose? I mean, you could, yeah, you could sing and write about baked beans. But I mean, how many people are going to relate to that? It's when you kind of, you're vulnerable, you show your emotions and... Yeah, you have an identity. You can establish a community, and people can find synergy with you as an artist. It's, it's. I mean, it's imperative.
2: We're going to talk about your music, and in terms of identity and what uh, writing a song and lyrics in a bit. But let's talk about school first. <laughs> oh, school. school. <laughs> How do you reflect on school? Was it a place of enjoyment? Was it <clears throat> fulfilling?
1: Um. Goodness, I look back on my school years very fondly. I was, I was fortunate that it was. Very liberal. Um, and as a queer kid, there were a number of other um, queer, queer peers in my year and through the school, which was amazing. Um, I think, as, as any school does, there were cliques, uh, which probably left me in a bit of a, a floater predicament. I was always kind of switching between groups and never really knew where I fit in. But oh, I think that's probably my greatest strength now. You can chat to anybody.
2: Did you enjoy that then? Because I feel like I was perhaps in a similar position in the sense of you kind of know who the two or three people who will look after you really dearly from the, from the very bottom of your heart, but then you can just drift around. Did you see that as a, as a positive thing then in terms of there was no toxicity?
1: I think initially, uh, I I mean, I loved it whilst I was at school, leaving school, having gone to an institution, which wasn't particularly, the, uh, the social thing is one would get a university, it was, it it was, it kind of left me a bit high and dry and I wasn't too sure who my friends were, but now, I mean, being able to utilize it, meeting people out, networking or God, I hate that word, (laughs) (laughs) but not like networking, but having a good time, meeting people that you're not familiar with and it it can be, it's certainly a strength.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of (laughs) identity at school, did you always... Have you always known who you are, or have you found that difficult in terms of finding who you are? Because sometimes I speak to people who are people pleasers. Now there's nothing wrong with a people pleaser, but sometimes they do it to project certain things in themselves that they're not entirely sure of yet.
1: I think, um, identity encompasses quite a lot. I mean, I mean, I, in terms of sexuality, I had no idea who I was for so long and I was, I was telling myself that I could be straight, I could tell him, telling myself that James, you're you're not gay and lying to myself. But so sexuality aside, I mean, as a as a as a just a, a kid in school, yeah, I suppose I was a bit of a people pleaser. I felt I was always just trying to appease and be trying to make people happy, trying to make people laugh, trying to make people smile, but I suppose never was always checking in with myself.
2: So when you listened to music when you were younger then, was that a source of enjoyment uh, and an
1: escape potentially or was it just something that you just loved and enjoyed it was just an integral part of me i mean like some people are good at science some people are good at math (laughs) i um i would always just be drawn to musical instruments pianos choirs orchestras bands um and when my peers would be going home and revising for their gcses i'd be going home and doing ariana grande covers do you know what i mean it's it's not it's not something which it, it, it just, ha- I just, it's why I'm immediately drawn to. I come in, I play on the piano. So it's, it's, it's like my a home. There's it's a safe haven and I feel comfort and solace with being around music, most mm, certainly.
2: Definitely. Is there a, a particular artist that you were very fond of in your, your formative years?
1: Uh, I suppose, again, it's a bit eclectic because kind of had an adoration for musical theatre when I was very little. Probably saw every theatre production under the sun. Love that. <laughs> Wick- wicked, Wizard of Oz, love them. Then kind of, yeah, transitioned into more classical opera, which is just enchanting. And there's so many textures and composers you can delve into, Instrument instrumentalists, and that was amazing. And then ah, I've, I've, one composer in particular, gosh. I mean, the one in particular that stands out to me right now is Handel. Like mm-hmm. all of his his arias I used to sing kind of from Xerxes, Rodolinda, um, the ornamentation. It's just stunning. It's beautiful in it. That's what I'm trying to kind of utilize now in my pop music.
2: Before we move on, can you talk to me about what the word textures means? Forgive my ignorance, but educate me. I, I, I'm Te- all ears. i what I want to know. Oh
1: goodness. Now you're calling me out, you witch. Um, <laughs> textures. <laughs> textures. Um, well, it's just, it's like polyphonics. There's multiple instruments. Uh, there, uh, they're maybe running in dissonance, and so one might be kind of like atonal to another one. Um, there's many vocal textures, which are not always kind of always harmonious either. Um, yeah.
2: So to someone who really doesn't know, can I use the word depth
1: or is it even uh, more yeah, than Yeah, so that? it's like, a, like I mean? a rainbow. A rainbow yeah, has got lovely. lots of textures, you know what I mean? Like a rainbow cake, it's got red, pink, blue. Oh,
2: there that's so a good of way of putting it. The yeah, imagery. of course, okay, that makes in every sense, sense of the word. Ah, oh, we do love a rainbow how do we i love that now absolutely now when you put music <clears throat> together yourself then i imagine maybe you've kind of changed it throughout the years actually when you started i don't know how did you start <clears throat> to write a song is it lyrics first then music do you like to jam just sit on an uh, instrument
1: i suppose it, it it really varies each time i mean i love going to studios collaborating with other people um, but I, I say it always kind of stems from being sat at the piano and having a wee tinker and just seeing where my fingers take me. Um, and then you kind of, pl- as I say, play into the dissonance of your fingers, like you make things clash. And normally that I associate that with more of a sad meaning to a song, which I certainly have a tendency to <laughs> jump more more towards, which I'm trying to change. Um, but yeah, I think it always stems in the foundations of a piano and a voice. And then you can um, kind of go off piece from there.
2: Do you write as well in terms of lyrically from personal perspective? I imagine that's obviously easier, but if you say heard something from an Mm. amigo, a friend, and it was a, I dunno, maybe meaningful or touching, would you consider writing from as if you were them? or?
1: Um, goodness. I mean, yeah, I would always write about something which I've experienced, try and keep it, if it's a bit too niche, I'd maybe perhaps make it a bit more ambiguous and more people could relate to it. But I mean yeah you should look at my bloody notes in my iphone because i mean someone says something and i'm like i think that's great i want to use that that's <laughs> so right so i uh there's always there's always inspiration that can come from someone picking his nose on the tube to uh to <laughs> bumping into a friend outside or do you know what i mean come from anything
2: so your 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 phone your notes has potentially got some serious ideas
1: going oh goodness gracious i'm not going to pick it up now but it could be <laughs>
2: Wow, I love
1: that. Now, <clears throat>
2: you had this sudden rise to fame, and you've men- you have mentioned Boy George in terms of this mm-hmm. mentor. How did that actually start in terms of that uh, facilitation?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, I was working with a producer in London at the time, and we'd done a number of songs together, and we were releasing my first kind of single. It was just coming out of Royal College of music as well. And I- I wouldn't say my music was particularly commercial at that time, but there was a lot of kind of operatic elements. And George, um, George heard this through the producer. Producer sent it across to him and fell in love with the more classical tones, um, and said that's so unique, um, which was really eye-opening for me because I'd been told that doing the whole like pop route wasn't going to work. And I had to, yeah, I I needed to choose between one either either pop or classical, but. Boy George, Boy George, has come up to me and say that that was that was really unique and special, and how I was going to get noticed was amazing. I mean, working with him was a big steep learning curve, but it was utterly amazing, and I'm very grateful for the experience.
2: As you say, you've worked with some great names in your career to date. You've been, to be fair, in many places in the world, and you've had the opportunity to perform in front of wonderful crowds and wonderful people. To date, then, <clears throat> do you have a moment like a pinch yourself moment where you go? Or were you, when you were in it, you were like, okay, wow, that's pretty unbelievable. Um,
1: I have, <laughs> I have kind of two, I I'm, I mean, three probably. Um, I say um, I was very naive at the time and I went to go watch Boy George's concert at Wembley Arena. And he gave me VIP passes when went to the front of the stage and finished one of his songs and he was like, there's someone I'd like to introduce you to. And I was like, And I'd had a little little Sauvignon Blanc, as you know, as you do at a concert. And uh, he brought me up on stage and we started singing together in front of, like, gosh, 30,000 people. That was pretty wild. Um, uh, Gosh, I mean, I was Kylie Minogue's backing singer for a short while as well. That was utterly remarkable, singing in the Royal Albert Hall and seeing all the the effervescence that came with that around Christmas. And... um, I mean, more recently this year, as a solo, as a solo project, I was uh, out in Lake Como and I was working for a big brand doing a performance in this huge villa. I was at the top of this turret in a, in a tower and, and performing over Lake Como in front of like 6,000 people. That was again, another pinch me, pinch me moment. And I thought, ah, maybe my dad won't think I need to be an accountant anymore.
2: <laughs> yeah, That's incredible. That's so, so cool. It's great to have all these memories and stuff. And now we took, when we were talking uh, earlier in the year. I now know that you are mm. technically unsigned. So therefore independent artist mm-hmm. Now what, what does that what does that mean in terms of the industry? Because does that mean you have to work a hundred times harder? Do you have to be kind of the producer as well as your own agent as well as
1: your manager? Um, goodness, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of joy and freedom that comes with being an independent artist and I'm trying to see the positives in it certainly but To be completely candid with you, it hemorrhages money. And when you're competing against record label budgets, it's, and you're meant to be producing high quality content on a regular basis, it's just not sustainable. Um, and that's, that can be really challenging because if you're independent and you, you, you're, you're basically, you're, uh, you're, you're writing music, you're performing live because that's kind of where you get your most, most of your income from but on top of that you have to be a content creator an influencer selling pasta or doing and then being a radio plugger a publicist and I mean it's amazing and there's so many skill sets which are great to have but it can be exhausting and I I imagine what I could achieve creatively if I didn't have to do the abundance of work which artists assigned to record labels get at their disposal
2: Apologies to interrupt the podcast, but a quick word from our serious sponsor, RCK Partners. If you're looking to take advantage of R&D tax credits to boost your business's cash flow, RCK Partners can help you. Simply head to rck.partners or follow the link in the podcast description below. Now, back to Jamie. Is it, um, so is it, would you say it's mentally exhausting then, <clears throat> having to have these multiple heads on? Does it drain perhaps and take away from your creative drive? Does, do you feel like you're neglecting that sometimes?
1: I, I just think there's it, a lot of, there's, yeah, there's a lot of admin and work that comes with, that comes with it. So I wouldn't say neglecting it. I mean, as I say, I'm always going to be tinkering around on my piano in, in the yeah. evening, but it's, um, it. Yeah, it's it's just, it is pretty exhausting. And sometimes you're having to relentlessly prove yourself um, when you've, when you've got achievements and, but no one, no one, no one cares what you did two years ago. It's like what you did yesterday, because there's there's someone else that did something yesterday that was better. So um, yeah, that's, it just feels a little bit relentless, but I suppose perhaps that might inspire some music now and again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. As someone who is, therefore i suppose technically self-employed but i suppose every musician and artist is there's no set structure to it how do you find time to switch off as in give yourself that opportunity to actually go do you know what i'm allowed to take an hour or i'm allowed to take a day and just give me my give myself some me time because uh, as you say it must be so draining and you don't want to switch off because you're so driven to have such a successful career, but you don't want to burn out and you don't want to be mentally exhausted and you need to, you know, be positive in
1: in life. Most, most certainly. I think it's a young person's game and it's, it's in your best interest to always kind of be on. And I mean, it's a lot easier said than, I mean, I got goosebumps just when you asked me that question, because really I think it's something that most musicians and artists struggle with, turning off because you're working with different time zones as well. I mean, got a call, this call, few calls this evening in LA and people in New York. So you're, you don't turn off that button because actually these are people who are going to be helping you elevate your career. So it's in your best interest to do that. So, but gosh, what do I do to kind of, I, I struggle to turn off. I think my button is always, is always on. I, I schedule time with my friends obviously. And, mm. um, that, that provides a lot of comfort, um, and a lovely epsom salt bath <laughs> <laughs> well there you go self-care is so important of course i mean oh yeah i'm a bit of a skincare fanatic i forgot that too so i am um, <laughs> anytime someone's had some like iffy call cool with me i'll go and cleanse my face
2: <laughs> hey it's it's about that new start that new feel love it of
1: course <laughs>
2: <laughs> what can we do then i suppose <clears throat> as anyone that's listening but just in general, <clears throat> what helps a support it like helps a support an artist such as yourself?
1: Um, uh, well, the the inner narrative you have with yourself. I mean, today I was struggling a little bit this morning. I think just reaffirming your achievements to yourself is something which is kind of imperative because you can get so carried away with the next move, the next move and competing with your peers, but actually if you look back in hindsight, you can actually see the mountain that you've climbed and it's pretty unbelievable. So where you are now is uh, somewhere you dreamt of being six months ago. So I think it's just you just sit with that and that's something that should give you comfort. Otherwise, God, what, what was the rest of the question? What other? Well, what then? can we do, though, as members of the public as Members of the public. OK, sorry, not just me. No, 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 no. But some <laughs> no things about me. Obviously, we can stream your music.
2: Yes, we can oh, yeah. follow you, but what else can we, you know, in terms of what helps support an independent artist? What's really the crux of it? What helps you?
1: Uh, just getting on, just sharing it on social media. I mean, sharing it, nice. Sharing, listening, um, thinking outside the box, just supporting them, going to their gigs, going to their exhibitions. I'm not just talking about musicians. I'm talking about artists, creatives, mm. set designers, everything, stylists, go to their exhibitions, go to their shoots, Lend a helping hand just because the the hustle is wild and um, sometimes it's not always greatly achieved. I mean, a sharing, sharing it to your Instagram followers is really nothing in comparison to the amount of work they put into it. Um, Yeah. So I think that's probably that, that listening and just being there with your, with your creative friends.
2: Definitely. Now let's talk about lockdown as well, because you found a very specific oh crowd slightly closer to home. Tell me what you got up to
1: in lockdown. Um, right. So <laughs> I was uh, singing to my neighbours. I was on tour prior to being us all being locked in our home. So I kind of had that kind of performer energy, which needed to uh, shine, his, shine his light. And it wasn't going to be dimmed by any COVID. <laughs> so I... Um, Yeah, I bought myself a little uh, busking speaker and went outside my flat, like block of flats and uh, started singing to my neighbours. And initially I was petrified. I was thinking to myself, God, I'm either gonna have to move out very quickly, very under the radar, or it's gonna be amazing. And what happened was totally surreal because the first time I did it, God, I get goosebumps every time I think about it, um, is that people came out on their balconies, they took a glass of wine out, they had their kids and they were applauding and they were cheering, and it was—we were wild. We were all safe. I mean, it's balconies of miles away from one another, but there, it was that kind of like it was like a collective spirit that we couldn't be with one another, but we we created something so magical. Just yeah. So I was I was singing and they were listening.
2: It was amazing. <laughs> but, no, don't dumb it down though, because that's such a everyone needed something to yeah. hold on to as such, but it almost felt like as you say, it's a surreal experience that was shared together that probably people so desperately needed some sort of escape or even
1: normality i was inspired by those videos that you saw what i saw around italy initially because of course that's where the first lockdown was and people were people were singing and they were playing their instruments on the balconies i just thought that my building was somewhat conducive to that and it worked so after after that all kind of fizzled out and i mean people were sending me Song requests for like their wedding anniversaries and birthdays. There was a lady in my building who's eighty six who went and sung Happy Birthday at the bottom of the building, and there's magical moments which I'll never be able to probably do (laughs) unless we get another pandemic. That could be fun. (laughs) Um, And then I just thought, how could I go a bit further afield? So I um I I emailed a few local nursing homes and I started to kind of go around to their car parks and sing to residents and whilst they were in their rooms. And one in particular was pertinent and st- stood out to me because it's the first time these residents had come out into the car parks. they been brought out ice lollies, Union Jacks on the in the car park. And yeah, we were all singing along. The NHS nurses had decorated it. And it was just phenomenal. And nice it was just incredible. a real British camaraderie spirit. And it was like, well, we're going to get through this. And it just felt for once after being ice, I lived by myself. So having that kind of music at a distance was just and something I'll always treasure.
2: That is such an incredible feeling, actually, just thinking about that. Was that tough? Just on a, on a side note, in terms of being isolated on your own?
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. But hey, I'm young, I'm healthy. I can go and walk around parks, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I think just appreciating what I did have around me. Thank goodness I don't have five kids or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm functioning, I could write some music. It was challenging for sure, most definitely. Um, but I connected with a few of my neighbors and we, uh, we all, um, supported one another through that way. That's great. That's really nice. mm, Yeah. You just, you found a routine and what worked for you. I think there was initially, there was a a really strong desire to be productive all the time. And I had to kind of just surrender to that and say, let's, let's enjoy the small things. Let's enjoy chopping this one carrot or having an Epsom salt bath. Do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: brilliant right let's go on to music in the future then please who who's that artist that you aspire to work with and why <clears throat> and I, well, they're allowed to be more than one i'm not i won't i won't i won't pressurize you to to <laughs> one i imagine that might be
1: challenging yeah there's immediately immediately God, actually this, the list is suddenly getting so much longer i think my first one is immediate, lady gaga I think the, the unbelievable, remarkable ability she has to switch between genres is, is inspiring. Film industry, pop, rock, pop, classical, folk, duetting with Tony Bennett—it's just her versatility and professionalism, her identity she's created as an artist and the community which she's she's helped forge and advocate for—is um, yeah—is something I would certainly aspire to to be and want to work with and collaborate with. Um, otherwise, a little Andrea Bocelli duet Mm. with (laughs) Gomez, um, that would be good fun. I, um, I've always, I've always wanted to kind of keep the classical opera element, um, in in tandem with what I'm doing because it's a part of me and I never want to neglect it.
2: I know this seems a random question, but what are artists like? Obviously big or small, it depends. Uh, Sometimes you're highly unlikely to be seen if you do it with big artists but when you reach out say on social media to certain people and go fancy collabing? want to do something how's that work
1: oh it's quite a good idea louis maybe i should give it a try (laughs) maybe i'll message andrea after this
2: (laughs) i'm not (laughs) going down that regard not down that um route but um i don't know What, what 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 does that happen can do you well, find I mean, any small, like, I don't know people, cause sometimes people help each other and you can put together something. I don't know. Maybe. Of course, that's I absolutely mean, rubbish,
1: oh gosh, I mean, yes, you're relentlessly putting yourself out there to, p- 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 predominantly most of the time it's to no avail. Um, but, I, uh, you just persevere with it and yeah, I think sometimes you receive emails back and you collaborate and it's, it's magical, but yeah, I think that's probably, probably the best.
2: So what does the future hold then for you? <clears throat> For the J go- A. <laughs> no, so let's say short term goal, end of the year, and then let's go five years. Where do what do you what do you envision?
1: Uh, well, uh, I want to release an album of music next year. I know which is going to be quite a lot of work to do, but I've probably got about six or seven songs already, which I'm happy with. Um, so I'm anticipating spring or summer next year for that release.
2: Mm. um
1: off the back of that I'd love to tour I mean I've been very lucky with being able to perform in the more corporate sphere um all around the world but I I would love to kind of go as an an artist and perform in regions Australia America and and stadiums we're going to get there and it's going to be definitely I think that's I think within the next two three years maybe not the stadiums but performing worldwide um and yeah, that's kind of, that's the dream and I'm going to, I'm not going to stop until it happens.
2: <laughs> definitely. Perseverance and determination are key qualities.
1: Relent, of course. Most definitely. Resilience.
2: Resilience, <laughs> definitely. And this, that might lead on to my final question that I ask every guest. What does the word headstrong mean to you?
0: Um.
1: St- uh, oh gosh. Nurturing your mind, your body, your soul, and um, and uh, sticking strong with the core values which mean a lot to you, and not letting anybody's perceptions alter that, and um, being firm in your roots, your grounded, your foundations, and what you what you stand up for, and, and what it means something to you. So, my f-
2: I'm going to add one question onto the end of that, then. <laughs> How many more? Last Come one. Anymore. Last one. Last one. Last one. How do you um not let anyone's perception affect you? How do you have that, <clears throat> as you say, resilience, determination, that ability to be
1: headstrong? Um, gosh, Louis, these questions are very good. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's experience, um, having it, having. Have a lot of having had a lot of things thrown at me in the past. I think you you learn how to pick yourself up. It's nourishing your body, as I say, eating well and um, trusting in your talent. Knowing that opinions are subjective and uh, you have to look at their bias in it. Like, is the source reliable? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Who is this bloke? Um, <clears throat> I think trusting in your talent. Um, and nurturing yourself and treating yourself well is imperative, Um,
2: most definitely. I love that. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. It's been an absolute pleasure, a thrill as ever. uh, And I wish you all the very best.
1: Thank you very much, my friend.
2: And that concludes this penultimate episode of season eight A huge, huge thank you to Jamie for joining me on the podcast. I know that it was an engaging conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Jamie and it's been so nice to reconnect and have these kind of conversations that are so important. If you enjoyed the episode, please do hit subscribe, leave a review, leave five stars if you want to. Every little helps. Now, I will see you next week for the season finale of season eight.